welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Guerra, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that was suggested by you, the Fintech Insider audience. Uh, so we asked you on Twitter and LinkedIn what topics in financial services aren't talked about enough. Lots of you came back with really great, insightful suggestions, uh, but financial education uh, was the subject that came up again and again. So today we're dedicating our insights show to what financial education should look like in 2022. The world of financial services has moved on from mortgages and loans, but has financial education even got to grips with the basics? And should we be teaching teenagers and young adults about the pros and cons of things like buy now, pay later, crypto, retail investing? If so, whose responsibility is it to teach them? What should the syllabus be? And how does this impact those fintechs looking to change the world? But before we start, we just want to tell you a little bit about something we've got working on here at 11FS and a quick word from our sponsors. If you've been in payments for any length of time, you've seen the number of payment solutions explode. That's great for consumers, but incredibly complex for merchants and developers. That's where Primer comes in. Primer is the world's first automation platform for payments. With Primer, merchants and developers have all the underlying infrastructure and Lego blocks they need to build the best buying experiences for their customers. Learn more and book a demo at Primer.io. Let's get started. As always, I'm not alone, but I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on all things financial education. Making his FinTech Insider debut, we've got Dan Lane, Senior Analyst at Free Trade. Welcome to the show, Dan. Can you give us, the listeners, a little bit of background on your role at Free Trade uh, and the company's relationship with financial education? Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Guaya. Um, so my role is I'm part of the editorial team here at Free Trade. So yes, we are an investing app. Uh, that people can access. And our whole goal is to get everyone investing. And that means kind of taking on the old industry and breaking down barriers to understanding whether there were quite a few, actually. Um, our relationship with financial education, it is absolutely critical that we educate our users. Otherwise, uh, we're sending people off with uh, an investing app and we're not telling them how to do it, how to relate it to their personal finances. Um, and we know that people have a very fickle relationship with money anyway. People feel very vulnerable. Um, some people get overexcited. So we want to be the people to bring a little bit of guidance their way and make the whole thing feel a little bit less daunting. That's great. Thank you. And also making a welcome return to FinTech Insider, we've got Louise Hill, the co-founder and chief operating officer of GoHenry. Thanks for being here, Louise. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of your role at GoHenry and, and what GoHenry is for those who may not have heard? Sure. Thanks, Guerra. Um, my name is Louise Hill. I'm co-founder and chief operating officer of GoHenry. Um, thanks for inviting me to come back and, and talk again today. It's great to be here. So GoHenry is a financial education app and prepaid debit card for six to 18-year-olds with in-app gamified money lessons designed to teach kids and teens how to be smart with money. We launched in the UK in 2012 and now have almost 2 million customers across the UK and the US who, like us, fiercely believe that uh, money management is a life skill best taught young. I, I totally agree. Um, and finally, uh, making up our panel, it's a debut appearance uh, for Fiona Montgomery, the head of school age education at MyBank. Thanks so much for being here, uh, Fiona. We'll unpack this later, but can you give us a, a bit of a top line information about MyBank and the work you guys do? 
Yeah, definitely. Hi. Um, and firstly, thanks for having me. Uh, we are a charity who basically bring money to life for five to 25 year olds uh, in the UK across schools and youth organisations. We've created a range of programmes and interventions um, covering anything from budgeting, banking, borrowing, student public finance. Um, and the work that we do sees us reduce debt, increase savings, prevent homelessness and forge positive money habits and behaviours. Really great to have you on board. Um, so it's going to be a really great discussion, folks. So let's get started. So uh, let's start by looking at where we are with financial education today. So um, this is, I'm just going to pose this question to Fiona, actually. So start with Fiona. How successful would you say we are at financial education in 2021? Well, um, interestingly, this year, uh, for the first time since 2013, when it was put on the curriculum, um, when financial education this year became quite limited, uh, you know, due to lockdown and various other things, um, actually less than half of pupils reported having received it. And yet there's there's been no real kind of state redress to provision or um, there's a lot of studies that show that there's lots of barriers. So whether that's lack of teacher confidence or, you know, the time um, in curriculums is too tight. Uh, many believe it's kind of the responsibility of others or banks to teach it. But then obviously, if, if everyone thinks it's someone else's job, then nothing tends to happen. So, you know, charities like ourselves, my bank, the London School of Business and Finance, we've kind of stepped in to help kind of provide a solution to this gap. Um, and actually, you know, the government has spent millions of pounds on evaluation, finding out what works in schools and other settings, but there's still no real um, framework of support for schools to access financial literacy services or for scaling and funding proven interventions. So um, funding has been decimated as government agencies switch to emergency debt provision. And then it, it just ends up leaving kind of little, little support for teachers or the tar- charities that they rely on. So yeah, the how successful would you say it is at the moment? It's, um, it's there, but is it is it working to the best that it can be? Uh, probably not. Uh, I was going to say, Louise, uh, you've you've got some experience working with with young people um, with with Go Henry. Would you say that 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 you've seen that to be the case? And and uh, like, tell us a little bit more about the gap that Go Henry's filling um, that the education system is not filling. Well, I think it's interesting some of the points that that Fiona made there. You, you know. I think financial education, it is in, I'm going to say, the secondary school curriculum. It's not in the primary school curriculum at the moment. And because of many things, it is a little bit of an afterthought. You know, I've I've been a governor at a secondary school for, for over six years, and I know just how many things schools are expected to teach kids in, in the time that they have with them. And, I, I you know, I think it's from our perspective, Go Henry was founded by parents for parents and their children as a way to um, teach their kids how to use money in the real world. And we've, we've recently launched um, a feature called Money Missions, which are these, these gamified in-app lessons to um, enable us to teach both the theory and the practical side of actually using money in the real world. I think schools are struggling to do it. And and Fiona touched on a really good point there. It's not only the school's job to do it. You know, I I think from a Go Henry perspective, that's the industry trying to do something about it. My bank as a charity are trying to do something about it. But we need to come together as a society with parents, children, schools, industry, charities and government and to really make a difference. 
that's I want to I want to like zoom in a little bit more on on what you've talked about like about, about who like whose responsibility it is and and talk about parents a little bit with you Louise. So, uh, the Young Persons Money Index is an annual survey that tracks the take up of finance education in the in schools in the UK um, by the the London Institute of Banking and Finance. So they said a significant number. So seventy five percent say that most of their financial understanding. Uh, knowledge comes from their parents, uh, whereas only 8% cite that schools as their main source of financial education. So the percentage of those who say that they worry about money remains like really high at 67%. So is there something to be said for focusing on the financial education of parents, considering uh, how much children learn directly from the from their parents? And um, can you walk us through a little bit about, about Go Henry's uh, um, strategy and, and the work around uh, your, new, your, your new product? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we recently conducted with, with a, a company called Development Economics a, a big survey in, to look at the impact of financial education. And, and that was really because we kind of felt after um, being in the space and, and trying to do something about it for so long, everybody agrees that financial education is a good thing. But how do you actually quantify what does what difference does it make? And um, this this survey that, that we've done has has really brought to the surface some some fairly shocking numbers. Um, you know, for example, 84% of parents feel they would have made better financial decisions if they'd received financial education before the age of 18. Um, or uh, one that, that really hit home for me, um, people are more likely to be unemployed or on low household incomes if they haven't had financial education at a young age and will end up at retirement age 70,000 pounds poorer than the person who did have financial education at a young age you know that those are really telling statistics that they're huge differences in people's life chances and and life outcomes that we can make a difference to I think every parent knows financial literacy is a core life skill and that they need to teach their children about money management but you know sometimes that's a really tough question. How, how do you do it? Um, you know, I, I was that parent 10 years ago and I was watching my children use, um, well, use my iTunes account to download a, a ridiculous amount of <laughs> songs and things from, from iTunes. And it was just looking around and thinking, realizing that there was nothing there to help me as a parent teach them how to use money the way that I was using money. Um, you know, to be able to use a card, to be able to shop online in a safe way. And, and that's, that's really what we put in place with, with GoHenry. I've, I've heard lots of horror stories about parents uh, finding thousands of dollars or pounds in, in uh, fees from, from Roblox and various other online uh, gaming platforms. But let's, let's uh, you know, move away a little bit from, from children because you know, whenever it comes to financial education, we're often talking about children in schools, which I think is definitely really important, you know, coming, starting at the root. Um, but, but Dan, you, you, you work with free trade and a lot of your customers are adults, you know, all your customers should be adults. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, where, where we are right now in terms of financial education for adults and, and, and why does it matter? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting in terms of how we, how we think about education and we, a lot of us feel like we stop learning when we leave school. Um, it, it just couldn't be more the opposite, really, especially when things like investing. Uh, investing feels like a very adult pursuit and people come into contact with it um, in their adulthood. 
but feel very vulnerable in the face of something that requires cold hard cash that you're earning. So the work that we're doing is to really demystify the world around it um, and clarify it. It also feels inaccessible from you know maybe a, a class point of view. People who whose parents did it, they do it because it was it was kind of in, you maybe had conversations around it over dinner when you were growing up. Um, some people never had that. Um, you know, I certainly didn't have that growing up, and it, it came as a kind of as an adult. I was told. You should be doing this. Why are you not doing it? Um, and then it's only revealed that actually my education was quite lacking. Um, I was, you know, it was uh, financial education for me was, you know, in a maths problem at GCSE, someone mentioned a water meter or a gas reading. And suddenly that was meant to prepare me for, you know, I know much more about triangles than I do about mortgages. So um, something that we're really focused on is to be, you know, we really want to guide people to make just just in their financial wellness, it's important that we factor in investing and things like this to your overall financial wellness. It has to be a sensible decision. You have to work from your goals backwards. We, you shouldn't be downloading apps, whatever they are, with a hope of you know making it big tomorrow. It has to be thinking about your attitude to risk and what you want to achieve out of life and then working backwards from there. I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, catching up at, at all levels and all stages of life and, and really brushing up uh, where, where we've where we've missed is, is really important. So, um, and you know, as a, as a free trade customer, I'm, I'm very grateful for the, for the nudges and, and, and the baked in financial education that we receive. So <clears throat> I'm going to look at just real quick about how the UK shapes up, uh, for financial education. I'd, I'd like a, let's go back to a schooling level. So, um, one particular area that I'm really interested in, which is actually Wales, but let's start with England. So Financial education in England is included in the national curriculum in secondary school only as uh, as part of citizenship and math. It's you know just really not enough. So if you look at Northern Ireland, um, financial capability is included in the national curriculum at age four uh, to fourteen, mainly through maths and numeracy. By age fourteen, secondary school students should be able to demonstrate financial capability in everyday contexts, using their math skills to learn about personal finance and financial decision making. Um, so get to Scotland. So in Scotland, financial capability is is included at in the broad general education phase curriculum uh, for students aged three to 14, primarily again in maths and numeracy across their learning. Whereas when you get to Wales, financial education is included in the curriculum in both primary and secondary schools as a part of the mathematical development and personal social education. Uh, this is in Wales specifically. So the UK's financial education seems to be just an added extra. Um, but is this, is, this, is this approach outdated? So Fiona, with the work you've done in schools, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we were surprised, I suppose, when elements of financial education became a part of maths. Um, and, you know, I suppose it was good in some respects, it joined citizenship. But I guess putting that into context, more than half of schools don't have to follow the national curriculum. And even when they do, money is often squeezed out of lessons. Um, it could be taught alongside more meaty life skills subjects. Um, so, if it ends up just being kind of offered as a question with no real context in math, so down a bit like what you were saying, um, that's actually quite a big problem. Uh, so a question that might help someone understand how to calculate the compound interest of a five-year loan at 17%, et cetera, et cetera um, might be really good in, in terms of finding out the, the math and the calculation involved in that and how to do that. But actually, Will it help them to decide whether they actually needed to get a loan? Will it help them to understand what the alternatives are? What would happen if they have a default on their payment? Um, so actually, for us, uh, it's the holistic approach, which is still really important and so vital. 
um, since since it came on the curriculum, actually, Martin Lewis has <laughs> he's called financial literacy um, or compulsory financial literacy as a bit of a red herring, saying it's here but it's not it's not there, um, and actually how it's taught and the quality of how it's taught to to young people is a bit of a postcode lottery and you know he's he's completely right it's it's there uh it is on the curriculum but you know there's no real standardization of of how it's um received and the quality in which it's it's delivered um so it's you know it's just so vital and you know we're trying our best to kind of support schools to fill that gap but um you're 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 waiting and hoping that someone will will want to do that or a teacher who's really interested in it uh, so it's few and far between and I, I think both Fiona and Dan have made some really good points there about teaching the theory of it you know money is well I often liken it to the life skill of swimming you know you can you can learn the theory but until the day you actually get into the pool or into the sea and have a go at doing it you're never going to learn to do it properly. And and I think in a very similar way, learning to use money is, is also about doing and, and being able to do that, practice it yourself, take decisions yourself, understand how to use it yourself. And and I, I would say this, of course, but it, it's beneficial to start early. You know, the, this, um, there's a great study from Cambridge University that shows financial habits start to be formed as early as the age of seven. And, um, you know, if, if financial education isn't even in the primary school curriculum in the UK, then that means parents are left to play the biggest role when it comes to teaching their kids about money management. And, and that, that in turn does mean that some kids are starting from zero. That's, yeah, I mean, definitely... Let's let's uh let's move on from that because this is a this is a great segue into talking about the challenges. So really looking at the the biggest obstacles and challenges faced on faced in improving financial education. Um, what what are they what do they look like today? Um, so Fiona, sorry, Louise, uh, what what the, you talked about you know some of the consequences, but what are the long term consequences of a lack of financial education, and what does it tangibly look like in the real world? Well, some of, some of the stats that, that came out of our um, the research that we did recently, um, prioritising financial education from a young age would inject an extra £7 billion into the UK economy every year. Um, you know, that's, that's a phenomenal figure all by itself. That's every year. So multiply that out, that's £200 billion by 2050. And, and I think I touched on um, earlier in the conversation... Brits who didn't receive financial education as a child are more likely to be unemployed or, or earning less than today. And those who did receive financial education, £70,000 richer in retirement. You know, th- those are big, big impactful outcomes. Um, what One of the figures, another one um, I'm calling to mind as I speak here, is um, likelihood of starting a business. If you've received financial education um, whilst you're young, you are 46% more likely to start a business. And again, extrapolated out, what does that really mean for individuals, for businesses and for the economy? That's 123,000 additional jobs in the economy every year. You know, those, those are big, big impacts, big life impacts. I totally agree. I think, yeah, you, and we can't, we can't, 
talk about, uh, you know, financial education, really anything financial related without talking about like socioeconomic barriers. Um, so in, 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 when it comes to financial education, socioeconomic barriers are a big, you know, big part of that. So like my, my bank, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about Fiona for a second, <laughs> but my bank surveyed over 4,000 children in collaboration with the Center for Financial Capability. And 76% of schools with children most in need of financial education were located in the more deprived areas. So Fiona, is this one of the biggest challenges facing financial education? Like is, is, is it um, socioeconomic barriers uh, that are obstacles for people to get good financial education? Um, yes, it is. I mean, it's definitely, um, it's definitely there and it's, it's about breaking the cycle of poverty. But I guess that's not something that uh, financial education alone will solve. Um, it's again, it comes back to that kind of holistic approach. And I suppose the fear we have is how are we sustainably going to work um, to, sorry, to support work that prevents situations like unsustainable debt. And I suppose there's, and I think we've already touched on it, there's, there's both a practical knowledge of managing your finances and a lack of that can lead to poor financial capability. But there's also that emotional side as well. Of if you don't understand how you feel about money, then it's going to be really hard for you to regulate how you feel when you make transactions. So I think there's that kind of um, both have to be looked at. And I think it also, you know, bringing it back to schools and kind of what's the barrier, a lot of that comes down to both time and access. You know, trying to get into schools or trying to get teachers to get the time within their curriculum and um, you know to, to be able to teach young people is is a barrier at times um and even access even with the young adults work that we do um it's actually can the young adults even afford to get to us um in order to achieve turn, turn up to our sessions um and actually do they know about us or do they want to know about us um because actually quite quite a lot of that is about you know money is still quite a taboo subject and people do have a kind of fear I think of kind of admitting that they need help and then when they do kind of you know opening up about it so I think we as a society do need to get much better about um talking about it and I know we've just had a uh, talk money week back in November um but it, it, it needs to be more than just a week I think and also kind of break that down yeah Dan um, I'm going to come to you you've worked uh, as a teacher before is that correct um, yeah, and you've also you're working with free trade. Um, so, have you found socioeconomic uh, barriers being like how how is that manifested in in your your education or you delivering education to others? Yeah, so that's right. So I, I trained as a teacher. I used to work for a company called Teach First, which uh, dealt specifically with um, economically developing areas and um, the kids that uh, that we would have taught and the, the families that we in the community that we would have come into contact with um, didn't really have a very solid handle on money themselves. And that's through no, no fault of their own. It's just culturally that was just the way that it was. Um, in terms of the education, a few takeaways for me would be that teachers themselves continue to feel ill-equipped to, to teach. You know, they, they have specialisms of their own, and that's why they're a history teacher or an English teacher. No one said that you're going to need to be an expert in um, in investing or uh, mortgage loan repayments or anything like that whenever they um, whenever they joined up. It's also a fact if teachers are stretched as it is, I think if you see a teacher with without rings under their eyes, you're doing well. Um, they just have no time. And especially if, it's, if this is not something that's linked to their overall goals, of you know enhancing these uh, these learners' opportunities through GCSEs and A levels and everything, this it does feel like an added extra, um, and it's also a misnomer to be taught through maths because 
you then you're signaling to the learner that um, your use of financial education starts and ends once you go through and come out of this door. This is why the work that Fiona and Louise are doing is so incredibly vital because it positions it as a life skill above and beyond simply a, a topic or a subject to be tested upon. I mean, I, I was a teacher myself as well, Dan, and I completely agree with you. You just you just don't have the time. And I think, you know, there's loads of resources out there, really great quality resources, but it, it just adds more pressure, you know, and it's something else that they have to pick up. They have to kind of teach themselves, understand, you know, um, in order to synthesize it and be able to kind of pass it on to the young people that you work with. So I think, you know, we really tried to take that pressure off and to kind of go, right, we have got tried and tested um, programs here that, that are impactful and to kind of give teachers support as opposed to putting more more pressure on onto them. And I think maybe part of what is happening now as well is, I'm going to use the word that Dan used, demystifying it. So, you know, whatever anybody can do, be that a charity, industry, the government, to simplify, make it easy for parents, make it easy for teachers to, to deliver the information and, and the knowledge that's needed. That breaks down all kinds of barriers. You know, it makes it more accessible, whether that's Dan and, and free trade and demystifying investment or Go Henry and money missions and demystifying what, what's it, what are interest payments. Um, it, it's making it accessible, bite-sized, clear, so much easier to to um, take it in and 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 learn it almost without realizing you are learning it. Absolutely, and I think I think this is a good segue also to talking about um, another barrier that people face really, which is you know fifty percent of the population um, faces, which is basically the gender gap. So. Um, a 2012 YouGov survey found that uh, only 58% of women claimed a very good understanding of financial products and services compared to a 72% of men, so 58 versus 72. Uh, a free trade survey found out found more women failed their financial literacy test than men. Uh, and according to the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, found that in most countries, women have much lower financial knowledge than men. So just this is, this is a question to... to, to I'll start with Dan. Um, like, how do we address the gender pay gap? And, and can we talk a little bit specifically more about retail investment, which uh, still feels quite male focused? Yeah, uh, I completely get that. And it's, it's, it's a really integral part of what we want to do, because our mission here is to get everyone investing. And we say when we say everyone, we absolutely mean everyone. There's no there's no way for us to try and attack some, attract some people over others. Listen, I think there is a little bit of nuance here in that um, people who express confidence aren't always the best at what they're confident about. Overconfidence, <laughs> overconfidence can be a really terrible thing. Um, and when people are interested in something, yes, they might learn, but they also might make very foolhardy or rash uh, mistakes. Um, in terms of specifically around gender, there, I mean, there are classic and in my view, maybe a little bit outdated views about, you know, men will take on more risk and be more rash and, and women will be a lot more conservative and take their time to learn. But when you look at some of the products that people are using, especially over the past kind of 18 months when people have got involved in investing, some of these products will promote high energy trading activity that feels very rewarding in the, sec in, in the second that you're doing it. And that plays into a certain type of trader, which so happens to be a lot of young men under financial stress, looking for a quick way out. Um, and it won't detract a lot of 
women who tend to be more methodical, investing for the long term in less risky products. Um, so then you get an ex- ex- exacerbation of this uh, problem. What we want to do is to tackle it from the other end and make sure that everybody is informed in a way that suits them. Nothing is jargon filled. Nothing feels like you're speaking to an institutional investor. We want to speak to people the way they want to be spoken to. Um, and we've started to see uh, a massive uptick in the percentage of women using free trade, even on last year. Um, we write every day, we write a newsletter called Honey, which tries to demystify the market, so that word again. Um, and we also do a big weekend read. We also have learn sections on our website as well as a news section to keep you updated. None of this is, we purposefully stay away from gendered language or gendered concepts, but we do um, bring in certain things like, you know, women, young women, um, have you ever thought about what maternity might look like for you? What happens to your pension over maternity? How might you think about that before it happens? Um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's a way to tackle it without being too, you know, rushing into stereotypes. But, and we think that's about leveling the playing field right from the very first uh, time you, you start to think about investing. Awesome. Um, I, I just want to really quickly touch on, on Fiona. Fiona, where, where have you seen this uh, manifest for young girls and versus young boys? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, we've seen that in our evaluation as well, to be honest, in terms of um, we often find that in our baselines that um, guys will rate themselves, they have a lot more confidence. And actually, sometimes when it comes to the end line, they rate themselves lower than when they started because they realise once, you know, they think, oh, yeah, I know banking, I know X, Y, Z. And actually, once they come onto one of our courses, um, they then realise, all right, okay, <laughs> there's all of these different things. And and yeah, whereas women tend to not rate themselves very highly uh, and they have a lack of confidence. So for me, I think it, it, it's, it is all about confidence. And, you know, how do you encourage confidence? Well, it's about knowledge and it's about practice and it's about ensuring that um, I think Louise, you touched on this right at the start about actually making sure that people actually can engage with money and that they they understand how they're doing with it. We're there to support uh, and help with it, uh, not do it for them, but kind of be there um, if necessary. But I think it's really important that people engage with it themselves, and we give them the knowledge so they they can do so. I mean, we could we could go on and on. This is such a meaty subject that we could really go on and on. Um, but we're going to take a quick pause here and be back very shortly. Banks need to adopt a cloud-first approach. When you consider all the benefits that cloud-based systems offer, it should be a no-brainer. Banks can work faster and smarter to deliver market-leading services at scale. Read more about moving to the cloud in our latest report in association with Encino. Just head to bit.ly forward slash cloud banking report. And we're back. So let's look forward to where financial education needs to be in 2022 and beyond. So shaping the syllabus for 2022 and beyond. This is our chance to rewrite the syllabus for both kids and adults going forward. So let's start with a very, very, actually all these subjects really are quite popular, but let's start with buy now, pay later. So almost four in 10, so 37% of Brits say that they have used a buy now, pay later service. Uh, buy now, pay later is now most popular amongst millennials, uh, with 54% of them using this payment method. Uh, and the growing preference of, of using buy now, pay later products is tomorrow is largely attributable to the older Gen Z and millennial cardholders. But according to Citizens Advice, almost two in five, so 5.7 million, uh, who have used buy now, pay later in the last year, 
didn't think it was proper borrowing. So this didn't, and they didn't fully understand what they were signing up for. It just, you know, it, it's a button at the checkout that lets you buy now, pay later. It's, you know, it's, it's a veiled loan, to be honest. So the charity is warning that four in 10 of those who've been, who've used buy now, pay later in the last 12 months are struggling to repay, which is, you know, quite upsetting to hear. Fiona, I'm going to come to you. How much is buy now, pay later part of my bank's current workshops? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a big factor. Um, and we look at it through the lens of borrowing, as that is essentially what it is. And plus, it's so heavily focused on young people just through kind of the nature of the retailers that, that use it. But I mean, as you say, it's definitely um, it's quite a worrying factor because for, for us, it's all about the behaviours in which um, it displays. So although it might have the best intention in order to help someone uh, break payments down, there's always the risk that young people can fall into debt. Um, and it also pays into the world of instant gratification. So it's all about kind of the wants. Well, it, it throws the wants and needs out of the water and pro- it just really kind of confuses things. You know, we really teach kind of wants and needs is really important um, and kind of being able to prioritise your spends. And then when you've got a, a message, which is actually, no, no, instant gratification, you want it, you get it, you get it now, um, that really confuses the message and actually delayed gratification which is really going to support um people to kind of save um is no longer a factor um and you know what message does that send so for for us it's really important that that starts to be regulated but also it's really important that young people understand it um and what what effect that can have on their relationship with money as they try to kind of um live independently yeah, I think I think definitely, and and it, it's it's such a new concept. I mean, buy now, pay later, like in the mainstream and and in the in the retail world, is is so new that that it is quite tough to grapple and figure out how to how to do that that financial education. But Louise, can you can you see a way to run a risk free buy now, pay later style product in on Go Henry uh, to teach ch- children about paying in installments? Um, I, I think at Go Henry, you know, our focus is firmly on financial education. So uh, rather than creating a product in that space, um, our priority is already educating young people on how to use it responsibly. So, you know, maybe there there are in certain circumstances good reasons to use buy now, pay later, but um, it needs to be used responsibly before people risk getting stuck in a debt trap. Um one of the things that came out of our recent research was that a, a third of Britons are unable to save for important milestones like mortgages or weddings or big life events due to a lack of financial understanding and education. And and I'm going to go back. You know, I, I, I mentioned earlier a, a fantastic research that we often refer to from Cambridge University showing that children form their attitudes and habits towards money by the age of seven. It's never too early to start having the, these conversations. And, and Fiona used the exact words that we use in our money missions, the difference between needs and wants. And, you know, a new shiny toy is not a need. Um, or the latest game on, on the Xbox is not a need, uh, particularly if they're going to struggle to pay for it later. I think let's let's uh, move away from buy now pay later, which is you know has been quite a, quite quite a controversial subject to be honest. We had we had a whole uh, after dark about this, but let's go on to crypto and NFTs. Um, so approximately nine point eight million Britons owned cryptocurrency as of Feb uh, twenty twenty one, and 
you know, crypto is highly volatile, uh, intangible, uh, and exists in a non-regulated 24-hour stock market that is uninsured by any authority. So it's it, 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 like it's quite dangerous. It's it's quite dangerous waters, especially when it comes to financial education and the frenzy that we've seen. So a Swiss startup, Pigsby, uh, launched a cryptocurrency wallet for children back in 2018 as well. So this is this is kind of trying to, to enter wade into the the financial education space or I guess crypto education space. Dan, can you tell me a little bit about how free trade approaches communicating crypto investment um, to to the users? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just you, you've painted a very accurate picture of it there. It's, it feels a bit like the Wild West a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, listen, people are, people want to learn about this. Um, and we would much prefer that we taught them about it and educated them in a, in a sensible way and put crypto at, amongst, you know, in the context of a wider diversified portfolio, not about um, seeing something on TikTok and going headlong into one asset with all of your savings and then not being able to sleep at night. That's just not sensible investing. And actually, regardless of the asset, um, we need to think about that, you know, that triumvirate of what are my goals, what, what's my time horizon, and what's my risk tolerance. Before we even start talking about assets, that, that triangle, you have to then work backwards for that and then realize, okay, well, what does my portfolio look like for me? Is there a place for crypto for me? And this is where the industry often gets it wrong because they promote the asset first and then say, and then people get confused about, should I be in it? Um, in terms of how we're educating, we are absolutely taking a view that, you know, the, the blockchain technology that is behind crypto, we're absolute fans of, you know, we think that it'll be around here for the long term. You know, when it comes to every single coin on the market, will that be as, as uh, stable and sustainable? No, the answer is absolutely not. And we're trying to provide the skills for people to identify these things for themselves. When, once something blows up and we report on it, that's far too late. People have got themselves into a world of hurt. So, you know, we, we've done things we don't actually offer. We don't actually offer crypto at the minute. But what we do have on the platform are things like crypto miners, like Argo blockchain or Riot blockchain. Um, and we have articles about, you know, are these actually right for you in your stocks and shares ISA? Here is a, here's a kind of rundown and would this fit within your personal um, portfolio? You have to personalize these things and you have to do it in a way where people don't feel condescended and also a way that they want to come to you next time something happens, as opposed to feeling like you're lecturing them over dinner uh, once something has already happened. That feels pretty useless. Yeah, I think let's let's dive into a little bit more about portfolios and 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 investing. So crypto, you know, I think definitely there's so many applications for it, but let's let's drill back, come back to the fiat world, um, the world of traditional finance and talk about retail investing. So during the pandemic, uh, the number of retail accounts in the UK seems to have grown. So in 2020 alone, free trade added 235,000 new users, a growth of 30, 361%. That's insane. Uh, the U.S. has already seen a huge boom in retail investing, uh, which could be potentially mirrored by the U.K. You know, we've seen the rise of of, of Robinhood and also now free trade. Uh, Dan, do you think this is it's time for retail investment made its way onto the syllabus at at the school level? Oh yeah, I mean, listen, it's not it's not the time. The time was fifteen twenty years ago. Um, because what you're getting now is this this sudden boom of investors, um, a lot of whom are learning on the job, kind of learning on the go. Um, which and you know, listen, learning by doing practical knowledge is absolutely fantastic. But there is the opportunity here for new investors to get very scared and turned off investing for life when actually it wasn't investing; it was just the approach that was maybe a little bit um, off off the mark. Listen, retail investment is it it is vital to the long term wealth creation of everyone, and this does not mean going headlong into Tesla or something. What it could mean 
is you know taking a a wide view of everything that you own, um, maybe properties included, maybe your ability to save and your goals. Maybe that wedding that uh, Louise was talking about. Maybe that you know, maybe that retirement. You know, there is a sense in the UK that pensions and things are very, very inaccessible and, and difficult. And actually, I'd rather avoid them. Young people now, you know, we don't have the glory of those uh, gold-plated DB schemes that everyone had. Um, defined contributions are the only thing that we have, and it's in the name. The only thing that's defined is our contribution, not the outcome. We have to take responsibility of long-term savings for ourselves. And we think that we want, well, we personally, what my department is doing is we think we have the opportunity to, to present that to young people in a very responsible and easy, easy way to get, get involved with it. Um, Fiona, in your work with my bank, tell me more about, uh, tell us more about uh, retail investment and where that lies uh, in the financial education. Yeah, I mean, I think what Dan's saying there about the long-term investment, that's definitely kind of the message that we're trying to get. It's all—it's always about, sorry, long-term savings is always the key thing here. Um, and that we do teach about pensions and, again, this word demystifying for young people is so that they kind of um, understand it in real terms to them. And even just simple things, um, you know, there's group pensions, there's state pensions, there's, and, and not really understanding what that means in the long term. So I think that's really important that they they understand what that is and they're able to understand it in a, in a relatable uh, a relatable manner. And Louise, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, go, for those who who don't know Go Henry and 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 if and how your approach to things like compound investing and, and retail investing in general, what does that look like? Um, the, the very fundamental elements of, of GoHenry, we, we talk about the four pillars of, of money management and, and those are earning, saving, spending and giving, um, giving back to charity um, as, as one of the pillars. So, you know, saving is right in there. And in the money missions that we launched a couple of months ago, um, in, in the it's broken down by age group so that the content is in fact we worked we worked with um my bank fiona's um a company they actually worked with us to help put the framework of of what we teach to which age together and um yeah investment is is right in there because clearly it is something that people need to understand that young people need to understand so that they can benefit from it as they get older uh, let's so one is like I said before we could keep talking about a lot of this for ages and ages but we're coming to the end so let's wrap by asking the panel um, what what do you think needs to happen to financial education in the future like what if you could say like a short sentence about what you think needs to happen in financial education in the future we'll start with Fiona start early is my number one thing Louise has been saying it all the way through this um, it's right habits are formed by age seven so the earlier that we can set positive money habits the better. Um, and just also that it should be standard for all young people, um, irrespective of uh, you know any circumstances. Everyone should receive financial education. Um, preventative, preventative is cheaper than the cure. Totally agree, Louise. Um, well, Fiona's stolen my line. I, I sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's we're we're in uh, violent agreement. Start <laughs> start earlier. You know, it's it's a life skill. And if we can teach that life skill earlier, that takes us towards bridging the financial capability gap that, that is undoubtedly costing the UK billions of pounds every year. 
literally billions. Yeah, seven billion pounds, as you shared earlier. Uh, Dan, what about you? Uh, I would say uh, talk money. Uh, you know, there, there are families out there who are terrified to talk money. And that's, I mean, I, I can understand it. There are some communities where it is a very sore subject. Um, but this doesn't mean like going and shouting about your salary. What it does mean um, is you know, having frank conversations about um, delayed gratification. You know, the buy now, pay later is a classic example of some people will, some kids especially, will come into contact with that before they will ever uh, receive financial education. Um so it's important that we talk money and we're not scared to talk about it. It's not something that we ever hide because that, that um, introduces bad habits of its own. Thank you so much, folks. Um, so that wraps up uh, today's discussion. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and your companies? We'll start with you, Dan. So uh, freetrade.io um, is our website. And specifically, the, the newsletters that we write are freetrade.io forward slash honey. It's a Cockney rhyming slang, you know. I'm not Cockney, I think you can hear that, but I wasn't the one who named it. Um, but then we also have our, our long weekend read. And what we're trying to do is to situate people's money within the broader context of the entire world of money. And Louise, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Very easy, online at gohenry.com. And Fiona? Uh, by visiting mybank.org. Um, and we're also currently looking for several new trustees. So if this is a subject close to your heart, then please do get in touch. That's great. Very, very uh, worthy cause, very worthy uh, path to take. <laughs> so you, for me, you can find me at 11fs.com. I'm also puttering around on Twitter, uh, not Guerra. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps them make us make the show better and helps others find the show too. Uh, so as always, if you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks very much and goodbye.